God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 22 to 38. Though we'll read a bit before that. We'll be coming back to a series in the Gospel according to Luke, which we've left off some months ago to consider Advent and uh, coming into the Christmas season. So we're coming back to Luke. We remember that Luke has as his intention to speak to the fact that Christ is a Savior for all sinners, from all tribes, from all nations, people from all uh, parts of the globe. In the history of the church, there was for a long time celebration of that appearing of Christ called the Epiphany or Theophany. Just past Friday was the Feast of Epiphany. I won't ask for a show of hands as to how many celebrated that this Friday. Most of us don't think about that. We don't reflect upon that. And yet, that in the history of the church was a part of considering who Jesus Christ is. And we think particularly of the Magi coming to find the king of the Jews who was born in Bethlehem, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. Here in Luke chapter 2, we also uh, recognize that he's not ready to move on yet either from Jesus' birth. Matthew kind of delays, he makes us, or he has us think about who was all coming to see Jesus, wanting to find him and understand who he was. And Luke also has that same desire to to slow down and to pause and to to think about what exactly uh, uh, is happening in the coming of the Christ. Look at Luke 2 because we want to see how Jesus fulfills all righteousness, of how he also is a light onto the nations, to the Gentiles. So, to start in verse 15, Luke chapter 2, this is the word of God. When the angels went away from them, that is the shepherds, into heaven, they said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming, upon, uh, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. So far, the reading of God's unholy word. May it his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, Christmas is over so things can get back to normal. That's often how we think, isn't it? Things can get back to normal. Well, let's just imagine Joseph and Mary. What were their thoughts? Could things really get back to normal? What was... The new normal. After all that they had heard, Joseph had been visited by an angel. Mary had been visited by an angel. The shepherds had come to tell them what they had heard concerning the child. We could forgive Joseph if he thought to himself, there's no way I can go back to my carpentry business. We we could forgive Mary if she said, there's no way. How am I going to teach this? This child? What what kind of schooling do do I have to, to, to bring about? Hardly normal. Would have been hard for them to move on from all that had happened. And Luke doesn't want us to move on just yet either. You remember he's recording this for Theophilus, and he's saying, "This is I've investigated. This is all that I've. This is all that I've heard. Uh, that that I think I want to communicate about who Jesus is, what he's come to do." He did a thorough investigation of the facts and recorded what. He had found. What he recorded was that Jesus was Savior of the nations and he came to save both Jew and Gentile. And he communicates that clearly right from the beginning of his gospel. He doesn't rush on from the birth. He tells us that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day in the keeping with the law. You hear that phrase over and over again. And when it's repeated, it's for emphasis. In keeping with the law. In keeping with the law, verse 22. In keeping with the law, verse 23. In keeping with the law, uh, verse 27. Uh, and verse 39. In keeping with the law. This, this young boy was, was brought to follow the law by his parents. Keeping the law. Fulfilling all righteousness. That's what we want to notice first this morning. He was redeemer of Israel, of God's people. He was a law. He was the one who kept the law, the true Israel, the true son of God, one who did not turn aside, even from the very beginning of his life. 
The time of purification, he's brought to the temple in keeping with the law of Moses to be consecrated to God and redeemed by sacrifice. Verses 22 to 24 tell us. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Luke's looking back to Exodus. Luke's looking back to Leviticus and finding there the fulfillment of the law in what Joseph and Mary did. What's he referring to? Well, the consecration of the firstborn. I'm doing a little Old Testament work this morning. The consecration of the firstborn to God went back to the time of the Exodus. Its background is even before that. In Exodus 4, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say to him, Let my people go, for Israel is my firstborn son. He is to be freed that he may go and serve me. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. The exodus from Egypt is understood as God taking his firstborn son, delivering his firstborn son. The prophet Hosea picks up on this. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Israel was called out, set apart to him. To help them remember their call, God gave them a special tradition. The consecration of the firstborn, we find it in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. God was claiming his right to the people. Claiming his right to his people and their offspring. The command would remain with the people when they entered Canaan. We'll see that in a a moment. God's command specifically concerned Israel's firstborn, their firstborn son, but pointed back, you remember, children, to the 10th plague. What was the 10th plague in Egypt? The death of the firstborn son, right? The death of the firstborn. And that that occurred because Pharaoh refused to obey God. God warned him. That for disobedience, there would be death. If one does not obey, there is death. This practice was to be carried on for generations in Israel. And when sons asked about this practice, their fathers were to tell them the story. Then I pick it up later there in Exodus 13, starting in verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your sons, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery." For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Firstborn sons were important in the ancient world. They represented the future. They were uh, those that... Uh, spoke of God's blessing and 
The point of consecrating the firstborn was to show that the whole family belonged to God. They were representative of the whole. The firstborn stood as part representing the whole. Children is like the, the captain of a football team. He goes to the middle of the field before the game representing the team. Maybe the basketball coach goes to the middle of the court before the game representing the team or the executive that represents the company. So it is with the firstborn, the representative representing the family. To consecrate the firstborn then was to consecrate everyone else. They belonged to God. This was the commitment of the parents moving forward. Phil Riken in his commentary says this, This helps us understand why God was so angry with the Egyptians. Pharaoh had tried to kill Israel's sons by drowning them in the Nile. Back in Exodus chapter 1. Not only was this a vicious attempt at genocide, but it was also a rejection of God's paternal rights. Pharaoh was trying to take over God's prerogative. In the end, he was punished with the death of his own firstborn son, just as God had warned him. You see, by afflicting the Egyptians, God was rightly defending his right to be the father to his sons, to his children. He claims that right over all his sons and daughters. We are his by creation. We are his by redemption. We recognize that he has made us and deserves our praise. And we belong to him by redemption. He has redeemed us, saved us, and we are to offer our lives to him. At the time of the Exodus, the Israelites acknowledged God's rightful ownership by dedicating their firstborn sons. They recognized that all their offspring, they themselves belonged to him. But God wanted them to remember this forever, their salvation forever. So he had them continue this practice even after they entered into Canaan, as we just have seen there in Exodus 13. But what did it mean to be set apart? Well, what it meant to be set apart for the firstborn of the animals was the animal would be sacrificed, except for the donkey. I don't have time to look as to the exception of the donkey this morning. That's your homework. You can look it up. You can study Exodus chapter 13 and and make sense of the unclean animal there and, and all the rest. I don't have time to look at that this morning. But with the rest of the animals, the firstborn was sacrificed. But with the firstborn son, what did we read? We read that he was redeemed by a price, by a payment. And what God is pointing forward to is a substitutionary sacrifice to spare his children from death. They belong to him, though they are unclean as, I'll give you a little hint, as the donkey was considered unclean. And so they had to be redeemed. They had to be purchased with price. Luke gives us this background. Now we come back to, to Luke. Luke gives us this background to help us understand why Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. They were keeping the law in keeping with the Mosaic law. Consecrating Jesus to the Lord, offering a sacrifice to redeem him. They did not understand that he was without sin and in fact that he would become the sacrifice for sinners. They didn't understand that yet at this point. There was a lot they didn't understand. Mary pondered these things, treasuring them in her heart, not not understanding fully what was being said about her child. 
But Luke doesn't want us to miss this event in Jesus' life. He was under the law, dedicated to serving God, and his devotion and service was unlike any other son's devotion or service to the Lord. Perfect in all of its ways. In all of his service, even to the point where he became the sacrifice to redeem a people for God, for we recognize that no animal can pay for man's sin. The book of Hebrews stresses that, emphasizes that when looking back to the Levitical a system and saying that has been fulfilled in Christ. He is the greater sacrifice. Now, when we bring our children for baptism, we act in obedience to the new covenant sign. The blood has been shed. Christ's blood has been shed. No more blood needs to be shed. We offer our children to the God for they rightly belong to him and they are to live for the Lord. We pray that the Lord would bless them by giving his spirit in keeping with his Covenant mercies with his promise to be faithful, to be a God to us and to our children. We see that laid out for us in the New Testament. When Joseph and Mary brought their son to consecrate him to God, they did not know that they were consecrating him to a life of suffering and death by which he would redeem God's people. A way of suffering. When we follow after Christ, And take up our cross. It's not talking about how we provide redemption for ourselves, but rather how we suffer with him. We are dying to sin and living to the Lord. That is how we take up our cross and follow him. We die to ourselves, die to our sin, for we are new creatures in Christ as those who've been washed, purchased, By his sacrifice. Christ was a redeemer of his people Israel. That's what we see first off. That he came for Israel. The people of God. And we'll look at that more toward the end. But he did more. As Joseph and Mary were in the temple with Jesus. They were met by a righteous and devout man. Who was waiting for God's promised comforter for Israel. He came for Israel, the redeemer of God's people, but he also came as savior of the nations. The Holy Spirit told him, told Simeon, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, verse 26. And we read there what Luke finds out, uh, what, what Luke finds when he investigates what had happened. He writes this, and, and Simeon came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, According to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon enters into the temple and he sees God's salvation. He sees in those words of Isaiah that they are fulfilled in this child. Verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Moses had not delivered Israel. Joshua could not. The people turned away from God. He sent judges graciously. They turned away from the judges. They called for a king. The king, no earthly king, could deliver them from their sin. Give them lasting peace. As we see throughout the prophet Isaiah, there were none righteous who could serve and save among men. But God would not give up on his people. 
He declared that he would have compassion on them and raise up his servant for salvation for his people and for the nations. Satan continually sought to destroy the people of God. We need to remember what's going on behind the scenes, that which we cannot see. Satan continued to try to attack God's people, but God protected them. When his promised deliverer came, he sought to destroy the deliverer in number in numerous ways. He sought to tempt this Savior to turn, and he failed. And now we read in the book of Revelation, he, def- he seeks to make war against his bride, the church. And what does every bridegroom do for his bride, according to Ephesians 5? He washes his bride with the word. That's what he's doing today. That's what he does every day. As we open his word through his spirit, he's washing us with his word. Every husband, every head of house is to be washing their household with the word, reminding us or to be reminded that we belong to the Lord, that we are his, that he is gracious to save even to us. Non-Jews, Gentiles. Simeon saw that this one would bring peace between God and man. Had the shepherds told him this? Don't know. We do know that when they left, that's why I read that, that previous set of verses, they returned glorifying and praising God, telling everyone all that they had heard and seen. We don't know. Maybe, maybe that word got out and got back to Simeon and he thought, there's a child somewhere around and soon, if they're good Jews, he'll have to come to the temple. <laughs> to be presented in keeping with the law. Was there anticipation because of that? We don't know, but God works in that way. He works through other people telling that message so that we look around and say, now what are the indicators? Where are the signs for that? You see, we have to be faithful to speak that truth. God uses that so that others might say, you know, I never thought about that. Or, you know, I should be looking for that. Or I'm going to think about that. Well, Simeon is there, moved by the Spirit to come into the temple. And in recording Simeon's words, Luke is telling us that in Jesus, God was revealing his righteousness in the sight of the peoples. That is what he promised to do way back in Psalm 98. Remember how we saw the promise of God to Abraham in our series uh, in the gospel according to Abraham leading up to Christmas? God promised to Abraham to bless the nations through his offspring, singular. Galatians 3.16 tells us his offspring, that one to come. The Lord declared that it was too small a thing to save Israel only. He said he would save the nations, Isaiah 49 verse 6. He would call both Jew and Gentile out of bondage to sin and to life everlasting. We saw how Paul explained this in his letter to the Roman Christians. A few weeks ago, Christ came first, yes, to the lost sheep of Israel to confirm God's faithfulness to his promises to the patriarchs, but also as one who would be a savior to the nations. And that's what led so many to reject him. But we saw, we were reminded that Pentecost is that very vivid testimony to God's Promise that the gospel would go to the nations. The gospel is heard in all those languages. And the new Israel, the church, would be made up of people from the nations. 
And that would stir up envy among the Jews and God would draw some of them to himself in keeping with his mercy. Well, Mary and Joseph heard all of this and they couldn't move on so quickly from Christmas. And sometimes we do because we don't think about all of these things. We think about just the presence and the visiting family and time off from school and from work and other things. And when that all changes, we think, well, back to normal. But Luke says, no, there is much to consider in the appearing of the Son of God in his epiphany. They marveled at what was said about their son, verse 33 tells us. We can only imagine how they must have received this news with great awe and with with great fear. For more was said about Jesus. Simeon said this child would be an offense to the self-righteous in both camps, both Jew and Gentile. He would be a stumbling block. People would respond to him, to be sure. We cannot not respond to Jesus. There is a response that's required. Either we respond in faith or by our refusal, we are showing rebellion. He is the child to whom we must have a response. I was thinking about that this week. My, there's a story that we often tell of my step-grandfather. He was a very intellectual and thoughtful man, and whenever children were born and there would be some conversation about, oh, look at the cute little baby, and there would be gushing over the baby and talking about the baby, and he would sit off quietly in the corner, and I, I, there was one instance, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it's retold that he was asked, well, what do you think about the baby? And he looked and he said, it's a baby. And he wasn't, he wasn't an insensitive man, but he just He just didn't know what he was supposed to say or how he was supposed to respond. Note to all of you, try not to respond that way, particularly to the family. But my point in in giving that and thinking about that is we can't be indifferent to this child. We can't simply say, well, it's a baby. There's, there's far too much going on here. There's far too much given to us by God that if we are to rush on, we are missing everything about Christmas. If all we can say is, well, another birth announcement and move on, we are, we are missing what Scripture sets before us. His presence demands consideration and response, and by the grace of God, we see in him the salvation of the world, while others reject him, seeing no need for him. Simeon declared that this would be the case, that some would fall and some would rise in Israel, that he would be a sign pointing, pointing to God, and God would say, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He didn't look different. He looked like any other baby. But what 
we learn about him and how he fulfills the word of God shows us that he is all important as we saw, I think it was just last week, that all of history is marked by his birth, B.C. or A.D. And it's not insignificant. Indeed, I think Luke makes this point because he's trying to emphasize this, though he's talking to Gentiles, he wants the Jews to understand that he fulfills the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets testify to his being the righteousness of God. Luke emphasizes that he fulfilled all the law from the beginning. I'm not going to rehearse those verses. We've seen them. But then the prophets, Simeon, that righteous and devout man, that prophet, and Anna the prophetess, whom we don't have time to get into this morning, both testify that Jesus was salvation of God for those who believed in him. It's not possible to learn about Jesus' birth and all the announcements and events surrounding his birth and say dismissively, move on, there's nothing to see here. We can't, we can't respond in that way. We, we must not respond in that way. This testimony matters and these, these facts matter. The hymn we're going to sing in a few moments, What Child Is This?, tells that story and it tells us who this child is, and it is to be our testimony for the nations. This child is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look yet again at the teaching surrounding your Son, we pray that we would not move on indifferent to what has taken place, but recognize that all of history has its focal point here, before his coming, after his coming, looking ahead and looking back. We pray that as we see his holiness, his concern to keep the law out of love for you, that the application for us would be, we who are believers in him, that we would want to follow after him, keeping your word loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would see in him the fulfillment of all that the prophets had spoken, that we would look upon him in faith, that our faith would look up to him, the one who is our salvation, that we might know with confidence, that we might express with great joy that we have a Father in heaven, because of his work, through the testimony of your spirit in our hearts. O oh Lord, work that in us for your glory. Amen.